Welcome to Asking for a Friend with me, your host, Katrina Buffard. I'm a clinical sexologist, psychotherapist, and sexuality researcher. And this podcast covers any and every topic relating to sex, intimacy, or relationships that you might feel a little too embarrassed to ask about. This season of Asking for a Friend is sponsored by Desire, South Africa's leading sexual health and wellness store. For a lovely little discount, stay tuned until the end of this episode. This is one of the topics that I get asked about the most, and in this week's episode, I spoke to Claire Bourne about how to prepare for and manage sex pre- and postpartum. Claire is a London-based pelvic health physiotherapist and also a mom of two, and having pregnancy and postnatal experience personally, she knows what a precious but also vulnerable and sometimes lonely experience it can be. There's just so much information out there. It can be overwhelming for women. And often we spend a lot of time thinking about what we should be feeling. Finally, I get to talk to you about a topic that I know so, so, so many people I've spoken to, my clients, my friends, my listeners have been wanting me to talk about. But before we dive into it, thank you for giving me your time and joining me today on Asking for a Friend. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. I love, I love talking about all these things. So it's great to be here with you. Thank you. And you, you're such a, such a great voice on this topic and you've got so much experience, both obviously personally and professionally as a mom and as a, a, a you know, a physio. So I think that there's going to be such a rich conversation that's going to come out of the next hour that we have together. And I'm so excited about it. So I guess I'm going to dive straight into it. And the, the title of this episode, you know, what to expect from sex when you're expecting, I didn't really want to limit it just to pregnancy, but also postpartum as well. But the mm-hmm. questions that I get coming in and the 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 thoughts or the, the, the sentiments that I hear so often from people, I mean, I was walking with a friend uh, not so long ago and her kind of two month old. And she just said to me, you know, is sex supposed to be painful? after birth and I said well actually yes and no so let's talk a little bit about this and I said well have you seen a pelvic floor physiotherapist and she goes what's that and I was just thinking to myself I really wish that gynecologist obstetricians would say to women post-birth it is mandatory for you to go and see a pelvic floor physiotherapist do you also think so you're nodding a lot yeah oh would be wonderful yeah absolutely I think and I think this is where there is a lot of work going into I think you know obviously different countries are doing things differently but I think just the awareness is increasing I'm UK based you know and I think within the UK there is a lot of work going into this and a lot of you know how does it start it always starts with increasing awareness then we realize okay there's an issue then we need research to back it up which there's more and more coming out and then practice changes then we have to disseminate that information across the whole healthcare system, increase awareness of women to advocate for themselves. And, and so I think we're in that sort of time um, of increased awareness and, and sort of practice changing. But I think it's going to be probably another couple of decades before we kind of probably see what we should be seeing, which is, yes, every woman, ideally. And we see that in other countries, like in France, every woman is given that postnatal support. Obviously, it's a different healthcare system there. 
Um, and obviously now in the UK, a lot of women are now sort of choosing to pay privately for maybe even one session just to understand their bodies a little bit more. A few top tips on what to do, whether it regards to returning to sex or exercise or just recovery. But yes, I agree. I think the message needs to be. But this is I think you've touched on a perfect point here. And it's like women don't even know what they should be feeling. And if you don't know what you should be feeling, you don't know when to get help because we're very good at educating around pregnancy birth and I think sometimes we often try to talk about the postpartum period but I even know as a woman myself who's lived it like you can't really hear it in pregnancy necessarily you're kind of like I'll just deal with that when I need to and then you get there and you're like I don't know maybe maybe I should feel like this maybe that is just what it's like um and then but obviously not everyone has a friend like you who can explore that when the more has awareness and then a few of you might talk and be like oh yeah it's painful for me oh it's painful for me okay it's obviously just meant to be painful um and then that's obviously then when and when problems start but I agree we need that sort of message to be like no sex should never be painful really like it might be uncomfortable for bits and but there's what strategies can we help you with and how do we move that forwards yeah I I think you made a really important point there was that sex should never be painful. As you say, it might be uncomfortable at a point or maybe you're not aroused sufficiently enough and we know that that's the most common cause of of sexual discomfort and pain, but it should never be painful, including postpartum. You know, there may be discomfort initially, but it should not be ongoing discomfort and pain. And that is not normal. And I think you also touched on there how, how... how women don't actually know what is normal and what's not. And so if something's happening and they're thinking, well, maybe this is just happening to me and it will just go away, they're not actually seeking out help. But yeah, the amount of people who say to me, what is a pelvic floor physiotherapist? They mm-hmm. don't even know that, 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 that one, that part of the body exists. And two, that actually there are physios that specialize in treating difficulties that arise from this part of the body. Have you also found that when you tell people what you do, they're like, what what is this what is this kind of specialty 100% and I think there's a multiple reasons for that I think one is so not what you imagine when you hear physiotherapist you think much more of like maybe sports or kind of musculoskeletal conditions so necks backs and things like that you just never imagine I don't think we always identify the pelvic floor as being a muscle group as well and actually thinking like actually because it's a muscle a physiotherapist could be involved I think equally as an area of physiotherapy, I mean, when I trained now, I went to uni 15 years ago. So I graduated like third, oh wait, 16, anyway, 13 years ago, I think I graduated. And back then, you know, in my degree, we didn't have any training in pelvic health. There was this optional module that if you fancied it, but really as young 20 something people, we were like pelvic floor as well. Like we didn't have a clue. It wasn't something that we were educated in as physiotherapists. I happened to come and graduate and get my first job and they were like oh you're starting in pelvic health and I was like really I haven't got a clue about the pelvic floor so I think but I've seen a huge shift in that like kind of last decade where as as a field of practice within sort of our world it's hugely developing and awareness is increasing and physio even physios themselves are increasing understanding of it but obviously that has to happen and then we have to then get this kind of like knock-on effect to more doctors having awareness, more GPs having awareness, and then, you know, women. And I think social media has been really helpful for that in giving a platform. Uh, but equally, there's only, you only get a platform within the platform that you have, right? And then you rely on other people to kind of spread the message. But I think definitely within the sort of whole multidisciplinary, whether that be, you know, psychosexual counselors, doctors, OBGYNs, like midwives, I'm seeing there's much more kind of collaborative 
teamwork, which is really exciting. Um, but yeah, even when I actually see women now, they're still like, so I don't really get your job. Like, did you do a physio degree? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but then I've done sort of gynecology training. And it is obviously really odd. You just, it's not what you view as a physiotherapist in general terms. Um, so yeah. yeah and I, I often think that the the pelvic floor is, is a more neglected muscle group in the body than the glutes. You know, everyone always yeah. talks about, oh, the glutes are so neglected. No, I actually think the pelvic floor is the most neglected, probably because we can't see it. We yes. we can't see it, so we just neglect it. And we also have um, some skewed ideas about it. You you put up a great post the other day about, about pelvic floor exercises and how it's not just about that sensation of, of stopping urine, but actually stopping a fart. And yes. that was like, it, you know, so many people fixate on this idea, okay, I've got to stop the flow of urine, I've got to use that muscle, but then they're not actually doing their pelvic floor exercises in the correct way, because they have some infinite information they've heard or read about, but not all the information, and it's not thorough enough, or as you say, it's not been disseminated correctly or widely enough. But yeah, social media has been super, super helpful in, a, in being, I suppose, in giving us a platform to educate as healthcare providers. So I guess it, it, it kind of makes me think about how underprepared women feel and they've, they've expressed that they feel for the bodily changes, obviously specific to the pelvic floor, that happen during pregnancy and post-birth. Why do you think we're not having those conversations? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think, I mean, I think part of it is, is fear driven so I think there's not wanting to make women scared not wanting to yeah it's always a fine line of like over of making women scared and then under informing and I think we just either out of fear of putting women off we then under inform them but I think my message is always like actually no one I ever see in clinic is angry because they were like so many people told me the right information they're angry because they're like I was not informed yeah you know exactly. so I think actually it's how we approach this information and I've taught on antenatal classes and I I know what it's like you know women are like oh I don't know if I really want to know about tearing and um, you know that you know you can tear the pelvic floor and the vaginal tissues but I'm like the thing is is it not better to understand what may happen than it happen and then you're like what on earth's going on now I think partly as well is that it's just yeah it's hard isn't it to just take all that information in um but then I think that's then we can give drop I think it's like, it's like dropping the information so they have some awareness and then but it's the problem is we don't then pick it up in the postpartum period and I know what so many women especially in the UK say they're like you're almost so looked after in pregnancy it's like you're so important everyone's so special and then your baby arrives and then really only anyone cares about the baby and are they all right and are they putting on weight and are they feeding themselves well <laughs> not feeding themselves but you know are being fed well and you you're like no one seems to really care um about me in the same way anymore and I think as women as well we have this like during pregnancy you're like amazed by your body it's doing these amazing things it's growing a baby and then postpartum it's like it's not working anymore. I'm struggling to hold in my urine. Everything feels really uncomfortable. I now don't have headspace to really think about myself. And it's a hugely hard shift. So I think 
it's how we approach antenatal education actually and I think again I'm seeing more of a hunger for women to be like look I actually do want to know I want to know what could happen um and I want to know actually what I can do to prevent because actually we do have good research and support to show that actually if we do perineal massage so we stretch the vaginal tissues that that can help reduce our risk of tearing now we can't tell you about how to prevent if we're not telling you what we're trying to prevent and actually again guidelines state that women should be educated about that but are we really doing that well enough I don't know I don't think we probably are and I think yeah so I think there's a lot more work to do antenatally but I think almost like drip drip a few bits and then we need to then pick it up postnatally and again the way I sort of like to approach it is just say if you experience x y z you need to get some help like just like black and white it's not like I'll leave it three months I'll leave it five months and see if it gets better just go and get help so those being sort of if you're experiencing incontinence if you are feeling a dragging heavy sensation within your vagina or if sex is impossible or incredibly painful and when I say sex I mean penetrative sex those are three things that are non-negotiable in my mind that you need to be flagging and getting help for um, because there is help I think I think you actually in just saying those saying those things and saying them in the way that you did it's it's very it's very permission giving you you're really giving women permission and I think that that's the thing that they don't get as you said the focus is so much during pregnancy on on the woman and on the pregnancy and then as soon as that baby arrives it's like survival mode for her and everybody as you said is focused on the baby but I think it's so tough for women as well because obviously the the you know, the narrative of I should be coping and I should be loving being a new mom. The amount of my clients that say to me, no, I'm not loving being a new mom. Like make it stop, make it go away. I want to go back to when I was pregnant and I don't even enjoy being pregnant. So yes. it's, it's, it's really challenging for women. I think there's so many expectations placed on them, you know, what they should be doing, their actions and behaviors. And so what's happening internally in their body is kind of kept hush hush as well because we don't want to seem like we're not coping or that we're not feeling strong enough or you know that maybe we need help which is just it's just so sad to hear that that's what women go through again and again and again I'm, I've heard it for years and years and years yeah I 100% agree and I think you've just touched on some brilliant points there and I think you're right it's women feeling empowered to say when they are struggling and I think that again there's this narrative of like and I, I know when this has been said to women, it's like, this is just what happens when you have a baby. But like your baby's al alive and well. So, you know, be grateful. And I'm always like, we have to hold the tension between being grateful that, yes, our baby is alive and well, but being sad that our body took a beating in the process. They can exist together. And the problem is we always, as you sort of say, make women feel like you should just be so delighted that you've got your baby that you know and I remember second time round for me like it was it, it was exhausting like I was trying to look after two of them and I remember saying to my husband I'm just not enjoying this enough like I feel I'm not enjoying this enough and he's like well let's break this down like what is enjoyable I mean he had a tongue tie so it was agony to feed oh my god he's like at what point in any other time in your life if you had literally like broken nipples that were bleeding you're having to feed a baby through pain all the time you were getting no sleep and your bits really hurt after birth. He's like, what of any of that is enjoyable? And I was like, well, none of it. He's like, well, then you can't enjoy every minute. Like we try and tell people, enjoy every minute, soak them up. And he's like, 
this baby's also like he always had reflux he's like he's screaming at you there is actually not a lot of a lot of this that is that enjoyable and he's like that's okay like you don't have to enjoy every minute and it's like someone I just needed someone to say that to me to be like oh actually yeah again like permission granted a lot of this is not fun did it mean that I wasn't unbelievably grateful to have a healthy baby not at all that will always be present but I also was really finding the reality of my physical recovery, my physical being being like raw and being painful and being exhausted. Like those things are really hard. And I think we have to help women to hold the tension between the two and not feel guilty for feeling one because they're not feeling the other all the time. It has to be both. And as you say, we just don't do that very well, I think. And I think within a healthcare system as well, it's like, well, you know, yeah, okay, you had to have a forceps and yeah, you've now got problems and whatever but you know we delivered your baby and they're alive and it's like that's wonderful like I am always going to be grateful for that but why should I always have to be the martyr and you know not get help for that I I deserve help in light of that well thank you for being a healthcare provider that's actually being transparent and saying it's not all sunshine and roses it's really hard on you and you know, often we don't believe that we can have two completely opposing emotions at the same time. We can absolutely love being a mom for the first time and love having a baby, but we can hate the changes that have happened in our body and hate how we're feeling every day. It's completely normal. It's almost human to have these kind of juxtapositions of emotions. And I just, you know, I just don't think we're, we're given that permission enough. And when I have a client who's pregnant for the first time or, um, you know, had a delivery for the first time and had a baby, there's so much of that dismantling of those preconceived ideas, almost like I'm having to shift those neural pathways with them and repeatedly affirm to them that it's okay that they're not okay. They're not as, you know, your husband did an ace job, well done to him, and actually stating the facts to you and saying, who on earth would be okay in this situation? (laughs) You know, no one, you would not expect any of your friends or your family members, female family members to be okay in that situation. Why do you think you're supposed to be having fun? Why are you putting a completely different set of rules on yourself? And so all of the bodily changes you've spoken about, the psychological, you know, um, just kind of distress that can happen. Then there's the pressure to have sex. And oh, God forbid, it drives me nuts. This idea of the six-week rule, which is rubbish. It's just because of the six-week checkup. It's got, yes. You're not going to have a checkup to check that you can have sex. You're going to have a checkup to check that your body is okay, that everything post-birth is, is you know, healing or whatever. It's not so that you and your husband can get the green light to yes. go and have sex that night. So can we talk a little bit about this whole, you know, sex postpartum and the six-week rule and so on? Yeah, I agree. I think the six weeks is like infamous, isn't it? And like six is not a magic number. The reason we have this six-week chat is because soft tissue healing on average is around six weeks. And so what we mean by soft tissue healing is like skin, muscle, connective tissue. So say if you've had vaginal delivery with some tearing that's all kind of healed often as well like the vaginal bleeding finishes around between four and six weeks or it can be earlier for some if you've had a cesarean as well obviously there's been soft tissue impact there and that's um on well on its way at six weeks but we do know that it's not complete like fully fully at six weeks not like it's like as you say hey presto six weeks everything's done 
And for some, you know, actually things take a lot longer because maybe they've had an infection in a wound or there's been, a, you know, I was, you know, speaking to someone who had a baby on NICU. And actually when your baby is on NICU, so neonatal intensive care, there is no like resting in bed. You're in hospital and you're getting up on the day and you're walking to NICU and back. You're expressing, you're sitting in a chair. There is none of this like going home and people looking after you. And she's like, actually, I just couldn't even think about my own physical recovery. Then there was a slight infection and things like that, because she's like, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't think about myself. I had a baby who was fighting for their life. So this is the thing we're all, our journey is not all the same. So that's why there is this six week window because of that, as you say, like everyone's different. And so, and some wounds will kind of take a bit longer to heal some actually then almost like overdo it a little bit and you get something called granulation tissue that's like then on the outside and I find for a lot of women postpartum this can cause a lot of issues with sex so it can feel incredibly raw very very painful um and actually it can take them a long time to actually find someone who knows what it is and get it dealt with and it's very quick to treat once we identify it but this is the thing this window is is varied and and within the UK often you will speak to or see a GP six to eight weeks but it's not an extensive check Obviously, it's different than if you're private. Maybe you've got an obstetrician who will maybe um, check things a bit more. But yeah, it is not this magic sign off. And also like six weeks in is early days from you from an emotional perspective, a physical perspective. You know, some women are like, you know, I'm really ready to have sex at six weeks. Amazing. But, you know, sex is more than physical recovery, isn't it? It's like fatigue, how you feel in yourself, how your emotional well-being is like your baby sleeping in your room you feeling comfortable with all of those elements of things and yeah I think the main thing to say but I think as well that's also an expectation on partners as well I think as well they're kind of like I've waited six weeks or we've waited six weeks um and the the biggest thing I'm always like is you just got to keep that conversation open as to where you are at Uh, because actually even if say the doctor says physically you can have sex doesn't mean that you want to and that is also okay doesn't mean there's something wrong with you um and I think the other thing we don't talk about is when we are breastfeeding your vaginal tissues are your estrogen levels are lower in the body and your vaginal tissues are often drier so again that can cause a lot of discomfort this is why sometimes women who've had a cesarean are like why is sex painful when a baby didn't even come out of there like I thought I got off scot free in that sort of department and I'm like, no, but your vaginal tissues are still impacted. And also your pelvic floor has been impacted through pregnancy. So there are still elements of that have impacted sex life. And so, yeah, it's really, really important. I think we just open up these conversations to say, yeah, it's not necessarily you're going to just jump back in where you were before. And that's absolutely fine. I know couples, it can take six months. Some are ready at six weeks. Some... I had a lady the other day who's it's sex has still been painful for two years and she's now finally been like I really don't think this is the way it should be you know and I think as women we can sometimes be like "Mm, it was a bit painful okay I'll try another time but you know I think in let's talk it in reality as being parents of young children your sex life is very rarely what it was before obviously everyone's sex drive and, and sexual life is different for everybody but I'd say generally as parents it slows down (laughs) And so you then if you're only having sex once a month in a year, maybe you're only doing it 12 times. And so if it's then you might then just keep putting it off because you're like, well, I'll just wait a bit longer. Maybe it's so I'm still postpartum. We're not having sex that regular. And we and we build in all these things as to like maybe the whys as to why it's happening. Mm-hmm. So that's why it can take us a long time to go and get help, because actually we almost don't have enough time to even give it the time that it needs. Um, 
and equally, I don't know, I mean, you may see this as well, but I think sometimes you're so thinking like maybe a child's going to wake up, maybe, you know, I need to go and put some washing on. You're, you're not, you're not as present as I think you used to be equally, or if you are breastfeeding, your body just doesn't feel like your own. Like you're still sharing it with a small baby. And then, and I know a big thing for women is this kind of like neediness of just being needed 24 seven. And then your partner can just feel like another need. Um, and that's that's hard, you know. And I think, there's again, there's nothing wrong with feeling like that. Obviously, it's how we approach that with our partners, not just being like, you're also really needy. <laughs> but opening that conversation to be like, look, this is where I'm at, and this is emotionally what I'm feeling. For me to actually get to that place, I need some space in my week away from the baby where I can be me. I can't just go from being a milk machine into like having sex with you to back being a milk machine. Like that's really hard for me. And so I think it's just like supporting women to have these conversations, isn't it? Where it's not easy to talk about these things. Yeah. I mean, there, there are three things that you've said that I really want to pick up on. Obviously the one is that communication is key and it's ongoing communication. So it's communicating with your partner when you get pregnant, during the pregnancy, after the birth, you know, in that postnatal period, and then thereafter. Communication, as our wonderful friend Kate Moyle says, is lubrication. So I love that. It's one of my favorite lines ever. I think she's so clever. So, you know, at the at the end of the day, we we need to have an ongoing open dialogue with our partner about where we're at and where they're at and why it is we want to have sex or we don't want to have sex. And then the second point that I want to make is is in the first episode of of this season, I had Emily Nagoski on and we were Emily Nagoski is just, you know, my biggest fangirl and she's unreal. And she has made such light work of the the heavy theory around sex. And the biggest point that I often want clients to take from her work is around how crucial context is when it comes to desire and arousal. And what you've just said is if I'm breastfeeding like a milk machine and then my partner wants to have sex with me and then I must breastfeed again, Oh, that is the, that could not be a more off-putting context where your, your body, you feeling like your body's literally going from sustaining life to sustaining a sexual need to sustaining. I mean, that's not sexy at all. And in that postpartum period in particular, you're, you're so focused, as you said, on being needed and keeping this little thing alive and fed and watered and, you know, so it grows up to be big and strong. And then you've got somebody else going, I also need you. And I think it's also really challenging for women to navigate and balance that because they were fully available to their partner before and now they have to be fully available to the baby and try and give some time to their partner as well and I'm not saying that this isn't hard for dads of course it is because they're navigating this transition as well and we can't take away from that but that physical need is on the mother the physicality has to be there from the mom and the mom only unless she's not breastfeeding and she's made that decision and that's perfect so I think that was the the second thing that you said is that context is absolutely crucial. But then the third thing, and I see this quite often, is you know from treating sexual pain that there's the fear cycle. And mm-hmm. 
we avoid sex because we think it's going to be painful because the narrative around sex postpartum, oh, it's going to be sore. So we actually say, well, let me just avoid it. Let me just avoid it. I don't want to be in pain. I'm tired. I've been breastfeeding. And so when I do feel like being close and intimate with my partner, I don't want sex and penetration. You said it earlier, and I'll always reiterate that point that we don't want penetration anywhere near us because actually I can't bear the thought of being in pain. So yes. the avoidance strategies that, that, that women put in place as well, simply to, to not engage sexually so as not to experience pain. I'm sure you see that all the time. Yeah, 100%. And, and also this like protective mechanism. And once we then experience pain, we anticipate pain. And then even if we are trying to work with penetrative sex, we then, oh, you know, we get that vaginismus, that sort of contraction of the pelvic floor. And then that makes sex more painful. And so then that impacts. And as you know, then libido and desire and then, you know, relationship maybe breakdown. And, and, and it's, it's huge. And I think this is where it's like, I mean, I'm so evangelistic about pelvic health, but like, it's so important because this is like the crux of family life, you know, and relationships and society. And, you know, it's huge when we actually break it down to where some of these issues come from. It's because we didn't support that mother. And actually, if we had just done some very basic, maybe paid for one session, educated her, the knock-on effect potentially over the next decade is huge. Now, it's not for everyone. But I think obviously in our roles, we know that it is an awful lot of women. And that's just the women who we reach out to us. Where are all the other women? You know, we know we have stats that it's like 84, 88% of women express sort of sexual dysfunction, sexual pain postpartum. So where are all these women? Because it's not like we're seeing all of them. And that's incredibly, it worries me. It does worry me. And I think, but again, I think there's just such a shame still and stigma about talking about sex and what that means and um, embarrassment about it. And, you know, I think most women, when they talk to me, they're like, oh, sorry, Claire, this is a bit bit too much information. Like we haven't had sex yet. I'm like, you know, nothing for me is too much information. Like literally I have heard and talk about all things and actually, I'm delighted that you can tell me about those things because we need to be able to talk about that. And I don't know if some of the narrative just starts younger, you know, in teenage years where it's like everyone's having amazing sex, obviously. And <laughs> it's, it's all about how Who regular and how amazing. amazing exactly. Sex? Who are they? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Everything's chat, isn't it? And even I meet women who are like, oh, but everyone's having more sex than me and it's all much better than me. And like, I must be the only one. I'm like, well, I've spoken to like five other women today who've all said the same thing as you. So I know that you're not alone, but I think it's like just part of our narratives. We don't often necessarily share the challenges. We are always trying to just share the the good and a bit in that whole like, well, it's amazing because I've got a new baby and and this I guess is where social media doesn't help sometimes because it is a highlight reel. So then you look at someone being like, oh, they're smashing it with their new baby and they're like, you know, it's all great and they must be having this and they must definitely not be arguing with their husband and oh look, they've got some lovely photos of them on a family day out. And what you don't miss is that they had a raging row the night before, the baby didn't sleep, they haven't had sex in two months, but no one is out there saying like, I'm that person. So yeah, I think, you know, it's just remembering that we are all living a difficult reality and um, just know there's no shame in anything that you are feeling and experiencing. Um, yeah. And, and, and you are normal, right? I think, yes, you know, you just, that stat is so unnerving, 84 to 80, something around there, 88% yeah. of women 
yeah, the ones coming to see us are the ones going, well, this isn't normal, or someone said to them it isn't normal, or they've gotten to the stage of going, okay, this has been going on long enough, so maybe something is up. They're, they yes. are a very small group of women. And yes, I wish more and more and more women would reach out, even just, you know, to have a, a virtual consult to be able to talk about the things that are going on for them. So then I, I guess I want to know, because I've had a lot of women ask me this, and I know that it would be great to hear your expertise, how... How best could a woman prepare, you know, during pregnancy so that sex postpartum doesn't feel totally and utterly just, I want to avoid it at all cost? Is there anything psychologically or mm. physically that she could be doing in the lead up to giving birth? I think it's a great question. I think even just approaching how we approach sex in pregnancy, because I think as well, some women are like, is it okay to have sex in pregnancy? like you know is that safe um so I think you're just opening up the conversation to say like for most women it's fine to have sex in pregnancy because it's, it's also really hard isn't it if you then don't have you, you literally fall pregnant and maybe you've had sex loads in order to fall pregnant and then maybe you're like then you haven't had sex for like nine months and then suddenly you're meant to sort of like pick that up in the most sleep deprived physically changing time in your life so I think women feeling like if they want to have sex in pregnancy that is good and that is safe there's only very rare reasons why you wouldn't be able to and again that should have been educated to you via your doctor when they're investigating certain things for you so concerns about your cervix if your waters have broken if you're having vaginal bleeding that we don't understand yet so all that sort of stuff needs to be approached with caution but for the average woman yeah having sex in pregnancy but again like for some women it might become more uncomfortable or they might have to explore different positions or I think something I really wanted to touch on is some women experience like varicose veins within the vulva in pregnancy so during pregnancy I mean if you look at your vulva and your vagina it all look different it's much more swollen there's a lot more blood supply to the area and often your is much more sensitive so if you've anyone who's been for a wax in pregnancy will definitely know that and be like whoa it is much more uncomfortable than before so, you know, everything's a bit more sensitive. Things can feel different anyway. So I think it's, again, it's how we approach sex and pregnancy it has a big kind of thing for, I think, postpartum as well. So having that open conversation with your partner, get his views on it. Because I think sometimes some men are like creeped out about it of like, I don't really want to have sex while you're pregnant. Um, but I think, again, it's like open up that conversation, see, see, and actually trying to keep some form of sexual, you know, penetration or connection with you and your partner is really important in that time. I think, you know, working on your pelvic floor exercises during pregnancy, like it's been shown that if we do them regularly, we're reducing our risk of sort of incontinence, uh, end of pregnancy and postpartum. And that's a sign that actually, well, we're just keeping our pelvic floor health as best as we can. Things like perineal massage, actually stretching the perineum before birth, that can reduce our risk of tearing, because obviously, we can reduce the risk of tearing or the severity of tearing that can also help us in our postpartum recovery and obviously part of that is returning to penetrative sex so I think that is what I'd say to women uh, when you're thinking about pregnancy um, again the crux of all of that is communication opening up not fearing it obviously something doesn't feel right so often with varicose veins you can feel incredibly swollen very very heavy like underwear can feel quite uncomfortable um again you, you need someone to have a look basically it's not something you can self-diagnose because often your bump's so big you can't even see you might be able to look with a mirror and you can I mean you know what varicose veins look like on the leg it looks like that really on the vulva um and and though we can't remove them in pregnancy there are certain things that we can do to help um and equally, just how you manage life and things like that can be helpful. So, yeah, 
I guess that's what I'd say to women think about during pregnancy to sort of prep yourself as much as possible for the postpartum period. And and then postpartum, how do we make sex more comfortable, more enjoyable, assuming that the pain, assuming that there is an ongoing pain, because that's not normal, obviously. Sure. Yeah. I think understanding your body is key. So I think if you don't really get what happened in the birth, like trying to understand that or find that out, because some women I meet are like, I think I had an episiotomy. I think I had a tear. I don't really know. Um, So I think making sure someone has a look and this is the sad things that often that's not happening um or if someone's not having a look try and have a look yourself because I think so much happens is because we kind of disconnect because we're like I don't really know if everything's okay down there and I don't really want to know necessarily so maybe having a look yourself maybe asking a health professional to have a look um and then if you have had some scar tissue sometimes trying to touch it yourself so only after six to eight weeks, everything's definitely healed. You've not had any education about delayed healing or infection. But you can actually like perineal massage where we're gently stretching the perineum. You can do that yourself on any scar tissue. So obviously new scar, new tissues can be quite sensitive. Scars can make everything quite tight. And so actually gently massaging it yourself. One, it helps you to reconnect with your body to any sensitivity of it, it helps you to kind of learn about that before you're then trying to have penetrative sex and that's when you sort of find out and then if, it, if that does sort of detect anything if you was like well I can't even touch it that might help you seek some help um, or just gentle massage can then help get you ready and then you feel much more ready when that time comes so for lots of women yeah it's actually okay and lubrication like you need to be using like external lubricant because as we know like arousal is a huge part and it can be hard to have get to that sort of same level of arousal as before for multiple reasons as we've sort of mentioned and also you're you're in that estrogen you're in that hormonally altered state so estrogen lower drier so using a lubricant and I, what i always say to them is not just about lubricating the outside and the, or the penis it's like you need to get it like inside so sometimes i say to them and actually there's a company called yes organics i'm sure you've come across them but they have these like little pipettes where you can actually almost you you can get the lubricant inside the vagina um which can really really help um you can also like lots of women sometimes have those little colostrum syringes around you can actually get like lubricant in and insert it inside the vagina um because actually that can make a huge difference so many 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 things but that's where i'd be starting with women i i i almost want to be a little bit of devil's advocate because i imagine that a woman listening to that going oh my god you know inserting lubricant vaginally with a syringe there is nothing sexy about that but there is nothing arousing about being in discomfort and nothing yes. arousing about pain. So while the idea of, of inserting some lubricant internally doesn't sound sexy and it might feel clunky and it might not feel spontaneous. Yes. I wish we could get the idea of spontaneous sex out the window. But anyway, that's again <laughs> a discussion I've had in other podcasts. It is way better than being in discomfort and pain when you are trying to be, you know, sexually intimate in that way with your partner so it's Mm. worth in that you know it's a short period of time right for most most women when there isn't that ongoing discomfort and pain it's a shorter amount of time or should be and so it is worthwhile doing something like that and lubricant really is our friend I I wish we could get yes organics in South Africa we used to be able to we can't get it at the moment Oh, oh they are the most phenomenal brand. I just love what they do. Yeah. Um, 
and the products that they make. So, you know, I, I'll definitely investigate and see if there's something with that sort of, you know, pipette or something that I can um, recommend to my um, South African listeners, or at least as you've mentioned, you know, a little syringe or something like that is really, really, yeah. really, really important. But I also think that we can't rush the act of sex. So you said it earlier, I'm right. saying it again, sex is not penetration. You can be sexual in so many ways. And so if there is some anxiety around penetration, don't start there. Start with other ways of being sexually intimate, you know, kissing, touching, stroking, using your mouth, using your hands, using toys. If you're in a um, relationship with a man, get him like a, a fun toy, like a male masturbator or something like that to, you know, that so you guys can play together, have an external vibrator, your little clitoral vibrator for you so that you can experience pleasure again. All of these things, you don't have to focus on penetration. It doesn't have to be the be all and end all. But when you do decide that's what you want to do, prepare for it, you know, think about it, be conscious and intentional around it. Foreplay, lubricant, communication, all of those wonderful things. So mm. the the kind of final question before my final question is 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 more a, a a personal one I suppose but also just from your experience with helping clients in just trying to juggle being mm. a working woman or not kids life and then sex on top of that because sex mm. very often goes further and further and further and further down the list of priorities because yeah. everything else is coming first so what, what advice do you give to your clients when it comes to that or your patients, should I say? Yeah, I, I think a huge part is actually just examining as in what do I need as an individual? Because I think that's what's really helped me is that actually, yeah, like I get to that kind of need fatigue where I just am like, I just can't, I can't engage because I'm just so over. So it's like, how can I put things in for myself so that I also feel like heard and like nourished because I'm much better at doing all the other things. Now, I don't think I've got a balance right at the minute. It's something I'm desperately working on. Um, and I honestly think just talking about things, there will, there will always be seasons when things are a bit more crazy, right? Um, and I think it's just being open about that. Um, so I don't think I have any magical answers, but I often think what the crux of all of it is for women is actually us not putting in, looking after ourselves and feeling very neglected by everyone else and everyone needing us. And then us not standing up and just being like, I have needs. And I think if you can put in things that help you, you're much likely then going to engage with all the other things. And sometimes that means you have to stop other things. You have to put, I'm a big fan of like, everyone's like, oh, dropping balls. I'm like, don't drop them. Just put them down. Like just, you know, sometimes like, obviously there's certain things I can't put down, like looking after my children, cooking them meals, like doing the washing. But what other things can I put down? And actually, I think lockdown or COVID has sort of taught us a lot of that, that actually probably things that we were filling our life with that maybe in as we return into more normality we're now as a family trying to say like we're not going to meet up with people every single weekend that we're going to actually protect that time which means that maybe I can have a nap one afternoon my husband can have a nap one afternoon which then we're not then as exhausted when it comes to the evening when we're like oh yeah I don't want to talk to you I don't want to talk to you you know what I mean it gives us that buffer and then if we have the buffer it's much easier then to engage with each other as a couple and I think again like basic things like trying to protect one evening a week where you're not on your laptops um because that's what we were sadly doing you know it was when you're so busy trying to work around children you grasp any hour don't you 
And then I realized that we just worked every evening as separate bits of the living room. <laughs> it's like, well, that's no good for our marriage. We're not even talking to each other. If it's not like, have you done the washing? Have you done this for the kids? You know? So we're now trying to say, look, Saturday evenings, unless we've agreed prior, those are the evenings that we definitely are not. It doesn't mean we have to do some fancy date night. It just means that we are not going to be doing other activities that we have just got space for each other. Um, and that just helps us to just, you know, talk, catch up about the week, enjoy doing like watching some TV, you know, whatever it might be. Not that we really watch TV together. It's not actually something that we really ever do. Um, we just enjoy chatting, really. And we don't ever do that. And then when you do it, you're like, oh, it's so nice. <laughs> so nice to know you know how you are. Um, and I think as parents, you just constantly never finish a sentence to each other, do you? I'm always having to ask permission of my four year old, to be like, can mommy talk to daddy now? Because otherwise, the minute I start talking, she's like, mummy, uh, and I'm like, I need to, I just need to ask daddy a question. Is that okay? Is that okay? Um, so yeah, I think that's been a big part of that for us. Yeah, it, it really sounds like you've had to figure that out together. It, oh, again, hugely. You know, as individuals, as a couple, there's no textbook to tell you how to make sex work and make your intimacy and your relationship work once you have kids and once you're juggling all of it. But you really made a valid point there around almost recognizing that it's not going to be the same as it was before and you've got to try mm. and make that intimacy happen in different ways even if it's not as frequent as you'd like even mm. if you know you're only getting the depth of the the conversation uninterrupted once a week you you've got to focus on on those small little things rather than an expectation that it's going to carry on as if nothing's happened you know, and, yes. and your, your intimacy isn't going to change at all. I think for so many couples, unfortunately, there may be an expectation in the relationship that sex is the only place that intimacy occurs, but there's so much intimacy in having a conversation. There's so much closeness that can come from a lovely uninterrupted in-depth conversation on a Saturday night that you, you may as a couple not feel then that you need to have sex because you feel that closeness and you feel that connection. So if you were going to give women one bit of advice for the rest of your life or your career, mm. you, only one thing that you could tell them and nothing else, what would that be? Trust your instincts and your body. Like if something doesn't feel right, the chances are that it's not. And even if someone tells you that it is okay, if you're 100% convinced in yourself this is not who you are and this is not your body ask someone else because it may be that something has been missed and I think we're very good at disempowering women and I think my message always is trust your instincts because I honestly I think nearly every woman that I've met has always said I just felt something wasn't right and I couldn't put my finger on it but I just knew that this shouldn't probably be the way it was but I didn't know what I was meant to feel but I was guessing that this wasn't it and so I think yeah trust yourself because I think we do so well in life of disempowering us as they women whether that's through birth whether that's through the postpartum period whether that's just through general health care of them not being heard like we need to empower them again and I think as healthcare professionals we're moving more into and as physios into more of a coaching support rather than like we are the fixers we're not we're actually here to walk the journey with you and help you to work out these elements for you I'm not here to tell you uh, exactly what this is going to look like I can signpost you and I can walk it with you but I think we have to put the power back on the woman to trust herself again because actually when we do that that's when we have results 
And I think that that is such a powerful place for us to end off this conversation. I will obviously link in the in the show notes where people can find you because you've got some yeah. unbelievable Instagram content. We were talking oh. about before we started recording, finding time to create that content as a job in itself. <laughs> there's so much power in, in, in social media and using it in that way. And you've got your practice in London. Um, yes. I mean, with COVID, I don't know how much of that has changed, but that was the last place I found you. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm back in, I'm back in a clinic. So I work in Fulham. I also do home visits across Northwest London and I'm doing some virtual depending on where, what women need, want and can afford really. Amazing. Well, well, thank you so much for joining me, Claire. And thanks for your thank time you. and your expertise. If you enjoyed this episode, why not subscribe to this podcast and continue learning about some incredible and fascinating topics that we need to know more and talk more about. You can subscribe and follow this podcast on your favorite platform. And if you've enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful if you would rate and review it. This episode was sponsored by Desir. Desir believes that sexual health is not just about the latest sex toy, but about using products to improve one's overall sexual health and well-being. For 15% off, use the code for a friend.